This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life. Hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Eric Jones, and with me is uh, Raging, Dr. Raging Wong. Hello, how are you? Hi. Hi, Eric. Hi, audience. Back <laughs> nice the, to be here. Back in the saddle. How long has it been since your last uh, co-host gig? Oh. Too long. But too long, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a commitment to come every week and do this. So good. Thank, yeah. thank you for the invite. I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> Well, we're but we're here to uh, to um, to talk to a, to talk to a, a friend and our colleague mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, one of our own, um, Joe Kinzer. Welcome, Joe. Thanks. This is a cozy space. <laughs> I really like the the ambiance. <laughs> yeah, thanks. We mm-hmm. uh, we tried to tried to beef it up in here. We're in the uh, podcast headquarters HQ yeah. at the Center for South Asian Studies. Um, Added walls. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> No, you're sc- this, no one can hear you screaming here, Joe. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, uh, we're uh, we're friends with Joe, but he is now a curatorial associate at the Archive of World Music at Harvard Library, um, and he is uh, he's an ethnomusicologist. He's a musician. He's a scholar. Um, uh, what what else do we say about Joe, Daisy? <laughs> no, <clears throat> promising okay. young scholar you can... <laughs> and well, whatever, whatever positive adjectives I can. You can think disparage. Of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a wonderful friend. This is a real takedown. Roast. Yeah. it's also a comrade. I would. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Because we 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 work together to fight against a lot a lot of um, what was wrong in the system back in the old days. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. I want to hear about these stories. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, 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 Joe is working on a project that he's calling Arab Lutes and Indian Ocean Roots. Great literary, uh, great <laughs> rhyming uh, <laughs> through through Malaysian soundscapes. Um, and uh, yeah, welcome, welcome back to welcome back to NIU. Thank you. Yeah, that was um, the title of this talk that I just gave, but um, I don't know yet for the book. Um, I'm talking with Rutledge and or is it Routledge? I never know. How yeah, to say I guess it. how pretentious. You're at Harvard now, so I think it's I think it's Routledge. Rout, yeah, Routledge. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, the book project sort of stagnated, but then I got this grant from the Society of Asian Music to go back. Actually, I I got the grant in 2020, and I wasn't able to go until this last summer. Yeah, and fulfill it. So it's it feels like things are moving in the right direction again, and the juices are flowing. So, so um. A lot of your work focuses on um, this intersection between sort of uh, Arab music and culture and, and Southeast Asian Malay world, especially um, music and culture, um, and centered around um, the, um, the, the lute or gambus. Uh, tell, tell our listeners, like, what, what um, you talk about a lot of instruments, but in particular, what are some of the, some of the main things you focus on? So I like the idea of taking something from material culture and just seeing how it reflects and changes and, uh, the local uh, aesthetics of a musical scene, like in the case of a musical instrument, 
um, not just how the instrument sounds, but how it's built and what are the aesthetic components. Like I showed you the, the smaller uh, gumboos from Borneo with the bird on the peg box. Yeah. Um, that those I, I'm really intrigued by the, the materiality and the physical um, presence and what that tells you about, about the local culture. Like for example, in, in Borneo, they really emphasize making the gumboos out of local woods and, and, and sourcing it. Um, and from a, from a single piece of wood. Yeah. Saying, from a right? single piece of wood. And they take these machetes and they're, they're, I, I was being taught how to do this and I'm hacking away at, at a, a big stump. <laughs> Do you yeah. have your own that you made? Well, I helped make it. I, okay. They they like to. <laughs> they, they're like they're like okay. Step. They wanted me to think I was making it, <laughs> right. but um, right. the the late great uh, Awang Basar, he was a, um, a luthier in Bungawan Sabah, and his son Hashim is still carrying on the the tradition of of that workshop. But you know, they're standing over me and saying, "Harder, harder!" You know, it's like I'm like hacking away <laughs> at this log, and then as it goes along it's like uh chiseling clay right and yeah it's, um, eventually it manifests into this it's a a, a monoxyl lute which is one wood which turco arab ouds they call everything gambus in malaysia even ouds and everything that's an arab lute they say gambus um but ouds are made out of multiple pieces of wood strips okay. overlaying on the bowl and and multiple types of wood so even a lot of the local luthiers on the peninsula, particularly outside of Borneo, that are building um, ouds and, and gambus, they sometimes aren't sourcing locally. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Or a lot of players are just getting Egyptian and Turkish ouds imported because it's easy. Um, so that was much more of an emphasis in, in, in Borneo. Is that. So that's, that's the intro. Is I like to take a symbol, uh, a material symbol, and then just see what worlds revolve around it as a as a hinge, right? As an anchor, yeah. Sort of. So we got, we have some we have some music professors here. Uh, with the 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 lute is the sort of the um, sort of the ancestor of the 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 guitar. I mean, yeah. like, what is its kind of genealogy? In uh, Chinese pipa as well. So it goes all the way to um, like through Silk Road, of course, um, mm -hmm. in the ancient time, and um, so it it actually is quite impactful like the the origin of the wood being in the Middle East and how, you know, through through different different paths, um, it was introduced to um different people, uh, in different directions. So um and um in our discussion um in in the world music class we mainly talk about the the silk because it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But like we tend to ignore the yeah the navigation as a result the, of the, the, the maritime the maritime path. yeah and so yeah. i'm very happy to hear um uh the talk today because that actually supplement um what i did not cover in my class <laughs> so thank you for that well yeah i mean it's we like to talk about the silk road and that was an um, those were important trade routes of carrying uh, material culture and other um arts and and po poetry and all kinds of things but the indian ocean too, those those trade routes were active for yeah. so long, mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I I got I was privileged to be able to go to Tanzania, and see some mm -hmm. of the same influences that I found in Malaysia and Indonesia, in Tanzania, especially in Zanzibar, which is a former Persian Sultanate. Mm -hmm. 
did that spark like, oh, okay, I saw when I was in Borneo, I saw sort of similar instruments that I saw in, in Zanzibar. Um, like, did, did, was it like, I mean, obviously you'd probably made those connections before, but like seeing it was that impactful. Like, yeah, I was, I was looking for it there um, because I wanted to see how it compared. And yeah, there's a Hadrami uh, community there and they play, they call it Gabus. Um, in Kenya, they call it Gabusi. But it's the same idea of uh, tarab, which is like going into sort of almost a trance with the music. It's hypnotic. It's spiritual ecstasy. Um, A.J. Rossi writes a lot about tarab um, and that idea of, of ecstasy, musical ecstasy. He's an ethnomusicologist uh, retiring from UCLA. So is that is that is that <coughs> generated from the Su- Sufi tradition? The, yeah. The, that. Yeah. So that's linked up with with a lot of these. As not all. Uh, Traders and mariners from the Arab world were Sufi, but that was a significant impact, as you know, in, in Southeast Asia and uh, East Africa, all over. Um, so that's interesting to me that a lot of those components to Gambus music in, in Malaysia have been falling away um, and changed, largely dealing with the, the orthodox ideas behind Sunni Islam and and. Sufi uh, ideas and, and expression being a little bit less uh, acceptable um, by authority, religious authorities particularly. So the, the, when you say the, um, the Hadrami, the, we're talking sort of, sort of moderate, sort of Yemeni, um, yeah. Southern Ar- Arab Peninsula yeah. um, cultures and tradition. A little bit extending into Yemen. Yeah. Um, the Hadramaut. Yeah. Why, um, what what about it makes that they they have a pretty oversized influence in some of the musical traditions? Like why what what is it about? Is there something that? Well, I'd have to defer to uh, Ng Seng Ho. Have you ever heard of that scholar? He uh, he wrote a book called Graves of Tarim, and he talks all about why the Hadramis were so um, prolific in the way that they influenced the world and in, in, in their in their travels. Mm. Okay. Um, but they were in search of. They just had the appetite for and the motivation and, and the, the maritime skills uh, okay. to take these smaller boats and go out and look looking for things like spices and textiles and just like same some of the same motivations as Europeans, but not to colonize, to integrate mm-hmm. um, culturally and to benefit, um, mutually benefit. And so their, their, their music and their material culture sort of followed on those pathways, the, the maritime routes that they were proficient at then. Yeah, there's this great uh, new recent article in eth- the Ethnomusicology Journal by um, Julia Bile and Jim Sykes, and they talk about the importance of the Indian Ocean. And there's this great quote in there somewhere. It says, you know, all of these mariners were traveling around the Indian Ocean and singing songs, and most likely they were all accompanied by the oud. So they were carrying it with them, yeah. which is a feat because... It's not. It's it's a finicky instrument. It's not easy to keep in tune. Okay. Um. Uh, it's it's much easier to bring your frame drums and things mm-hmm. like that or on a, a ship. Or, or maybe a flute or something yeah. or like a. Right. It's 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 a stable enough, transportable enough instrument, but it's much easier to like. They also brought with them marwas, which is the these frame percussion, and that's a that's also a part of these traditions in Malaysia and Indonesia, but um, the lute itself. A lot of the people I talked about that have chosen to play guitar instead of the gambus have have expressed to me that one of the reasons is not just because they can play like rock and stuff on it, 
but it's because it's so much easier to maintain. It's easier to stay in tune. Um, and, and it's not as finicky. So they, they cared about yeah. these lutes and that's why they were bringing them. Should we, um, can we hear some, can we hear some, uh, gambus? Can we, uh, this is a little from your, for your, from your own recording. Is that right? Yeah. So this is just indicative of my experience in the field, um, meeting people, uh, musicians at cafes a lot of the time. And we would just kind of sit down and have coffee and food and, and they'd break out the ouds and start playing. Well, they, again, they call everything gambus in Malaysia. Um, including the Turco Arab Oud, which historically they're separate instruments. But this is Fauzia Suhaili. She is uh, one of the very few uh, women that have gained any uh, notoriety playing this instrument. <laughs> And that was very like um, not polished and impromptu. So yeah, yeah. right. She's uh, with it with she a baby, has, baby in yeah, tow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she would probably scold me for not showing her other version of this song, where it's it's an interesting version because she starts it. This is an Arabic melody, a very famous Arabic melody, Binta Shalabia, and I play it. Uh, we play it in our um, Arab music ensemble that I perform with at Boston College. Um, we played it a lot yeah. in the Middle Eastern Music Ensemble About here. Ten years ago. It's yeah. one of the most okay. uh, famous mm-hmm. Arabic, uh, Turco-Arab melodies. Mm-hmm. In it. I was going to say, it sounds yeah. like I've heard that before. Yeah. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's catchy. So, yeah. so uh, there's, there's Malay lyrics to this song, melody, and it's a separate song. It's a different topic, a uh, different theme and everything. Um, and they call that in, in musicology, contrafacta, um, m- where overlaid music, uh, overlaid lyrics um, so there's a, there's a great recording of her playing this song, beginning singing it in Arabic and then transitioning into the Malay lyrics later in the song. Okay. Um, so this, this, I like, I, the reason why I picked this, um, piece, uh, this video clip to start the talk earlier was because, um, I asked her to sort of represent the gambus and, and what she, uh, what represent it through music. And the first thing she plays is an Arabic tune, and she sings the Arabic lyrics. She's not fluent in Arabic. Um, she did not sing the, the Malay lyrics. So I thought that was very indicative of this kind of like uh, through uh, this thread of Arabness that kind of permeates all of this music. And that's sort of the, the core of some of your research questions, right, is that, is that the function that, that um, Arabness and and some of the, these the cultural artifacts, uh, the, the way they the way they operate in in Malaysia, uh, Brunei, uh, elsewhere. So I mean, tell us tell us a bit about that. What is the so so where where what kinds of places do we see um, 
Gumbus performed and, and these kinds of performances at? Well, uh, you find it mostly in southern the southern part of the peninsula in Johor and places like Batu Pahat, Moar, um, Johor Bahru. And then in Borneo, you see it along the, the coastal uh, Malay communities uh, oh. in Sabah. Uh, particularly, Fauzia is from Bungawan, and that's where a lot of famous Gamus players in Sabah hail from. Um, and that's where I was over the summer, um, doing a lot of oral history type interviews with um, older musicians that used to play a lot in their heyday and are sort of uh, not able to play anymore. Or maybe they're getting a little mm-hmm. bit um, uh, too too old to even pick up the instrument anymore. So it's I, I appreciated being able to sort of capture because no one's really doing that that work there. I noticed. Uh, the evolution of musical traditions, a lot of times they just do fade away and that's, that's yeah. what happens. Um, but so we have some documentation now of some of those um, elders that were, and they all seem to be related in, in, in Bongawan, especially this community, this Brunei and Malay community. Like, like they're blood, all like blood distant relatives cousins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all like somehow like, Oh, aren't you the third cousin of this so-and-so? And they also, they can make yeah. those connections with each other. It's so tight knit. Like even if you don't quite know that person, you, you know them somehow. Um, if you live there, yeah. Um, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, you asked me where where you can find this. So, music. so in, in, yeah. in sort of like w- weddings, you said, yeah, and, and other. So it's mostly wedding music, and um, so in Johor, the a lot of the wedding music is um, comes directly from this Yemeni influence, and they call it samra. So samra is uh, in Yemen. It's sort of a a gathering. It can be a celebration. It can be just a, a night of conversation and music and poetry with mostly men. It's a masculine activity. Um, it can also be part of weddings. Um, there's a French ethnomusicologist named Jean Lambert. He wrote a great book about this topic in Yemen about uh, different kinds of um, music. He called it the it's the medicine of the soul. That's the English translation of his book. And uh, a lot of times this music was highly associated with, um, again, it's the Sufi thread. It's very, it's associated with healing, with music therapy. Maybe not a official, like, uh, delineated music therapy, but it was part of, of healing and part of um, communing and, and being together. And, and as I say, homosociality of men uh, being together and exchanging poetry and ideas and, and uh, chewing kat, which is the, um, narcotic uh, herb that they chew. It's sort of like betel nut. And um, that all that stuff has sort of been stripped away from Samra in Malaysia. It's mostly now, it's, it's wedding music. Um, it has the gumbos, they play marwas, which is the Arabic um, frame percussion. But those kind of Sufi threads have sort of been pushed away, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so along the line you were just talking about how uh, the wood is actually being associated with uh, the masculine, um, the male uh, mm-hmm. orthodox um, ideas. And so how do you start it to get this um, female singer to, well, first of all, um, is that your in- intention to begin with, that, that you want to interview someone that is not considered like the convention or it just come up? 
And then how do you actually go about this? Um, I, I bet there must be some obstacles, like getting a woman to talk to you. Yeah, that's a good question. It was difficult, um, mostly because she's just really busy. And she's always gigging and playing in shows. And she's in high demand. So she has a great musical life, professional life. And so it was hard to, to track her down. And I did specifically want to interview her because... Um, when I first started learning about Gambus music in Malaysia, of course, I went on Google and YouTube and typing in Gambus. And she is an artist that comes up so much. And she has more views and likes than all mm. of her male counterparts. So, and then getting to Malaysia and, and talking to people, all I, only people I ever met that played the instrument were men. And it's a very, mm. um, that's, it's, like I said, it's sort of a boys club of, of it's just a highly associated with men. So. I did want to seek her out and see how she navigated that that world. W was she the individual you were talking about who sort of, um, it's like a movie script. Did she break like like won the prize at a at a contest? Oh yeah, yeah. She likes to tell that story, which is a great story. It's um, she used, said she used to sneak into her grand her grandfather was a famous uh, gambus player, and I'm blanking on the name, but her great uncle too. His name is Pat Malau. Uh, she watched them play growing up. Um, and she always asked, can I play, you know, I, I'm interested in this. Can I play with you? And they said, no, no, that's not really a, a you know, something girls for girls. Yeah. And so she would talk about sneaking into the rooms, like when they leave the house and like taking the gumbos and messing around with it and learning some tunes that she had heard. And then um, she wanted to participate. They'd have annual gumbos competitions, solo gumbos competitions in Bungawan. And um, she wasn't allowed to, so she tucked her hair up into the sonko and um, <laughs> um, and signed up as Fauzi instead of Fauzia. And so at the end... So great. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she, she won the competition. This is, uh, you know, according to her, she won the competition and then took off the cap and let her hair fall. Oh, my oh God. My goodness. And then after that, um, her grandfather came on stage and was saying, like, so proud, right? And not, not disparaging her, but like saying, like, look, this is my granddaughter. Aww. Like, she's, look how talented she is. And then from then on, it's like her community was encouraging her. But she did say that there was always this sort of thread of jealousy, including um, mm. the, at the end of these competitions, they often uh, will have all the contestants or participants come out and play a song together, like a collective song. Okay. And then maybe the winner will go do a solo. And she said during her solo, someone backstage <laughs> unplugged her Aww. power. And so there's a little wow. jealousy happening mm. um, that she's sort of had to contend with mm. her whole career. So, mm. Was that many from the men? It I mean, it must have been one of the fellow uh, <laughs> yeah. competitors. <laughs> I, see, I, see a, I see a great film mm. in the making here, like a great little like, sort of... Uh, <laughs> Isn't there a Barbara Streisand movie like this? Yeah, Yandor. Yeah. Yandor. yeah. <laughs> and it actually yes. reminds me of uh, Uncle Thumb, mm -hmm. if you remember. When she was yeah. little, uh, she she had to be like disguised as a boy right. so that yeah. she can go through like the the, the uh, religious school so that she can learn how to chant Azan. Yeah. And, um, and, and early on, when she's still uh, young, her dad, her father thought that it would be a better way mm. to protect her mm, yeah taking her singing you know everywhere oh, okay. yeah so so yeah this is a theme and, mm. and it, it's almost like an archetypal theme mm -hmm. that you see it like or a myth it's like a, a almost like mythology around these women <laughs> performing in these in these masculine spheres right mm. uh, realms um 
So regardless of, you know, the, the veracity of the story or whatever, it, it's a, it's a story that she tells repeatedly. It's very meaningful to her. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly there's, it's a true story, but the embellishments, I mean, it all fits into this sort of global narrative of the, right. there's lots of parallels uh, in the world mm-hmm. with this type of story. Right. Yeah. So that, so the, um, Gender is a sort of a really interesting component of this, as is the kind of the politics of, of maybe see something for our listeners of what, what um, being Muslim means in in Malaysia, maybe vis a vis the 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 other citizens of Malaysia, and and maybe w- sort of the maybe the role of sort of this s- coded as Arabic. Um, Kind of performance uh, in in Malaysia as as a as a political um, um, move, right? So one thing to note is that, and I would have a lot of of my interlocutors and people I talk to in Malaysia uh, stand up and say this. They will remind you that this is Malaysia is not Saudi Arabia, and mm-hmm. w- you know there's there's um, examples of matrilineal uh, Malay Muslim societies and. Um, in different areas of of Malaysia and Indonesia, um, and so so women are not necessarily as sub subjugated as as in some of these you know, more stereotypical conservative Islamic societies, but nonetheless that that sort of trickles in a little bit. Um, but um, I lost my train of thought. But I guess the the like the you know the it's not. There, there's an important M- Malay and Muslim are are kind of uniquely coded at le- and le- actually legally coded as the same thing in mm-hmm. in in Malaysia and I guess the, how does how does the um, gambus play into cultural politics? Right. Well, one thing uh, when I asked um, a lot of the men about this issue, I said, "Well, how come do do women play this instrument?" And they jumped to say, "Yes, they do." But it's just not in the spotlight. It's in the home, um, which also uh, parallels a lot of the origins of the of the first mm. oud players in the Middle East too were women um, in the home because they had the time to study and play and learn and learn okay. the music. Um, so it does parallel that a little bit. But also, um, it's just but they're not allowed to progress into like being a professional musician. There's associations okay. with. Um, with like uh, sex work and things like that, of if like you're, a you're performing on, out on stage, a woman on yeah. a a woman on a stage is like a little yeah, bit, yeah. and so I found um, Fauzio's husband was her manager, and I found a lot of times it was sort of um, I talked to not they wouldn't justify it this way he you know they're partners and they have a great relationship and he does a lot of work to help promote her career but when I talked to other men they'd almost apo- like be apologists saying. Um, well, it's you know, her husband says it's o- is okay with all this, so like he's sanctioned it sort of like there's right as long as he sanctions it, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. So there are these like <laughs> he needs his blessing, or, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's not explicit though, like it's it's more uh, subtle in in Malaysia than some like stereotypical like conservative yeah. Islamic societies. Um, so it, that's it's you really have to be careful to parse it because it's not it's not exact. It doesn't fall on a on a binary like. Like I said, in some of those wedding performances where in, in the Samra in Yemen, it would be an all-male dance, and some of the, the wedding dance, uh, and, and the musicians would all be men. Um, and some of the weddings I went to in Johor were like that, 
but others would sort of infuse more of these Malay social dances outside of that Samra tradition, like Zapin, and women would come up and, and participate. So like mixing genders for dancing is not always necessarily historically taboo. Um, and, and women, there's lots of famous women singers, uh, especially Malay Muslim women singers. Um, but it's just something about playing this instrument that is so associated with men that makes her sort of tokenized. Um, and, and maybe some people have to excuse it, like, well, if she's doing it because of this. Um, I found some jealousy at, at the National Conservatory of Arts, Culture, and Heritage, Aswara. Um, she was a student there. She moved from Bogawan to KL to study, uh, formal, get a formal music education. And when I talked to her about a couple of her jealous counterparts, they would say, well, you know, they let her audition um, by singing and playing, not just playing. Like, because, <laughs> because there's this Western <laughs> classical music sort of influence a model in these conservatory settings, music conservatories, where it's like pure instrumental music is the gold standard. Okay. Um, but if you're studying, if you're playing, if your main instrument is gambus in the conservatory, you're drawing from all these very, uh, these traditions associated with vocal music. So that even, even the men and whoever right. else was drawing they will, on They would also be singing right. with it, yeah. I so, mean, they could yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, so it's just coming up with reasons why she's like, well, you know, they just let her in because uh, blah, blah, blah. And like, <laughs> it's kind of talking yeah. behind her back. <laughs> so frustrating yeah. for her. There's, there's this fantasy, fantasy um, the, the Muslims have, um, like um, in Indonesia, in Malaysia, you know, they always feel like, you know, the best, the best, the most authentic thing is out there. In, in Arab world. So, right, right. and so I, I, mm. I don't know how much, how much um, the musician nowadays or the people who still play gambus now, like how much their, 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 their ideologies out there being ramped within the, the, the standard repertoire. And is it, is it getting like um, a, a, a bit loosened and loosened like as time goes? Like this kind of fantasy, does, does it still uh, exist? It doesn't, it doesn't. It's, again, it, it depends on who you're talking mm. to. Like there's, despite all of these ways that um, the, the gambus gets sort of associated with pan-Arab identity and, and sort of gets conflated with Islam and genericized as this, one thing there are different very diverse pockets of musicians and players mm -hmm. they're united by their affinity for the gambus and they all seem to know about one another especially because a lot of them are educators or they're playing in the same circuits with weddings and things like that but they are a diverse a fairly diverse group um, in terms of their approach to the music like some people do point to the middle east and say you have to go to like Cairo mm -hmm. and learn the mm -hmm. oud, or you have to go to Istanbul, mm -hmm. and that's how you're going to get the great um, mm -hmm. these traditions from the Middle East. And that Turkish is not Arab, but right. it's like they're all kind of sort of lifted up as this like gold standard. But then you have others who say, are very emphatically like, "We are not Arab; we're Malayu." And that's right. I have this quote. You know, someone was telling me that like we're not Arab. I don't like when people try to put us in that category. We're influenced by like, look. We're playing gazal, which is like we have Indian tablas and harmonium mm -hmm. and and gambus and all these influences that are very syncretic. Um, so some people uh, 
don't like being painted into that and mm-hmm. saying like Arab is the best because right. in some ways, um, some of the, the Malayized versions of, of the Arab forms, especially in dance, they call, they call the Arab versions more, um, more harsh and like, mm. uh, very like, um, strict, like with, um, what's the word? Oh, karas was one of the ah, words they used to describe yeah. it. Uh, like it's, it's not as gentle as the Malay version. It's not as refined mm-hmm. as the Malay version. Um, the word I heard a lot was, uh, the two words, lama, lama, lembu, which is like refined, gentle. Um, so there's, in a, there's a, definitely a stream of like making, lifting Malay, uh, art forms up as an improvement over the Arab mm-hmm. and then and lifting that above that stand that mm-hmm. gold standard. So there's there's camps and mm-hmm. people are always uh, I can arguing see and that. <laughs> like how often do do you get people who will like in the first place, um, when you ask them to play or sing something, they would want to sing something in Arab to just um like please well, you or to like <laughs> There's probably a reason why why Falzia did that, but mm. a lot of times they would just play a Malay tune. Uh. Um, so yeah, I haven't unpacked that fully. Of like, maybe maybe that's just the song that was in her head, or maybe mm-hmm. because um, I think people learn about my background mm. and say like, well, where do you play this music? Where do you play the oud? And I talk about. I mean, there's no Malay music ensembles here in this country, really. So um, I can always plug in every ci- almost every city I've lived there's been an Arab music ensemble that I could plug into. Mm-hmm. And so I learn the Arabic tunes and they think it's exciting when I play uh, them for them. Uh, or like they'll mm. call me up on stage during a wedding and say, Oh look, yeah. there's this, <laughs> right, you right. know, and he's going to play it. Watch like this. This, yeah. <laughs> this Arabic tune. And like, uh-huh. it's, yeah, it's like exciting. And, um, I mean, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be a part, <laughs> you know, I, but they bring me up on stage mm-hmm. and this just happened. Um, in, it was at a wedding in KL. And everyone loves it, th- and they, they would prefer me almost to play the Arabic tunes and not try to... Mm-hmm. I mean, they would love it if I played the Malay tunes too, but there's something about that that's just... It might be me and my presence there that made mm-hmm. her want to play that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I just thought that that's quite interesting because that much they, they adore, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at least that's my experience in, in, in Indonesia. I, I see that a lot. Um, people, uh, especially Muslims, they they enthusiastically embrace um the the culture uh from the the golf area yeah there's a there's a there's a power and cachet associated Mm -hmm. with it a lot and and, um you know like uh uh joe and i were talking about there's a an an area near where i lived in kl there's this ain arabia this arab square and it was really and, and there were a lot of um arabs who lived there and from the from the middle east but like mm-hmm. there was there was an interesting sort of like malays who would really up their quotient of sort of uh arabness and sit at a hookah bar and do you know like that there was uh mm-hmm. it was uh, interesting there was some some performing yeah. um uh, arabness yeah. that happened yeah. in the in this section of the city right. for sure mm-hmm. yeah and it really does draw on those those stereotypes those archetypes um mm-hmm. of what arabness yeah. is arabian yeah. nights yeah. kind yeah. of stuff yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And which you've seen that show up in Malay language literature mm-hmm. and in film history, and so it's in pe- in the popular imagination. And you say even like weddings might have a theme, yeah, right. like, yeah. Right. Wear yeah. this clothing. Uh-huh. Yep, Arabian Nights theme was yeah. is a popular wedding theme mm-hmm. amongst some of these Malay and mixed, yeah. especially if you can claim uh, some Arab heritage. Uh, that's a, a popular theme mm-hmm. for a wedding. But go in that that part of Bukit Bintang, it like let's say 
This is why it's important to immerse yourself and stick around for a while if you're going to try to write about culture and do ethnography. Because if I would have just gone for a week, um, one of the first things some people would do is bring me to a place like that and show me like, look, and then take me to a hookah lounge yeah. and almost perform this Arabness. And I would say, well, this is how all Malays are. You know, this is how Islam right. is. It's just a mirror of, you know, um, this yep. kind of stereotype, but not, not the case. Mm. It, then it, that kind of erodes as you go along and you start learning the nuances, of course. Um, and especially if you get to like Sabah and Sarawak, it, right. mm. it functions quite differently. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, Malays are not in the majority in, um, in Sabah and Sarawak. Um, and even, even in the peninsula, they're quite a diverse group of people when you really get down to it and start pulling the, st- yeah. the threads. But um, they need to they need to emphasize more. A lot of, uh, especially people who are uh, so identified as Malay, particularly Bruneian Malays, um, a lot of them, a, a major focus of our conversation and what the topic that they wanted to bring up was pan-Bornean identity, not mm-hmm. necessarily these identity politics on the peninsula, not necessarily hmm. Malayness, but, you know, or Arabness. It's just... Um, this is Borneo, D- and they and yeah. they they included like Iban Dayak, like like yeah, like, they, like non-Muslim or um, they would at least like to talk about and point like look how diverse we are. Like look, there's okay. a there's a church over there, there's a mosque over here. We, we all live yeah. together, and this is the way it's been for centuries. And it, you know, historically, you can look. You know, is it a point of pride? Like like look, we can get along. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're, or, or we live together. Maybe where. There's a real kind of uh, I hate to say apartheid, but there yeah. there there sort of is in in yeah. you know if you've lived in the peninsula, Malay yeah. Chinese Indian right. communities like yeah it's it's distinguishing from Samananjung like mm-hmm. in the peninsula like saying like in the in Samananjung this is how it is, but here we get along better and like they, it's yeah. a point of pride exactly like mm-hmm. you said at least in my experience. What what role? I mean, sticking on Borneo for a second, like what role has um, environmentalism played in the music you know that there's a there's a consciousness i find in um uh that that p- the residents of borneo have about the environment that's just it's just different than because it then um for those who don't know you know it's this sort of in, in this amazing giant island that is um as uh much more jungle than the rest sadly it's being cut down at a, at a high rate but um one of the most biodiverse places in yeah. the world you know like mm-hmm. it's like the we always talk about the amazon yeah, you know, but Borneo is just like that. Yeah, one of the you know linguistically diverse. Uh, it's yeah. it's biologically diverse. It's like this incredible. Um, so the 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 um, does that consciousness come in in any in any of this? Anything you mentioned in the in the construction of the instrument or did the of of other music instruments? You 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 mentioned a few of uh, sort of sustainable. Um, yeah, so it's a fading tradition. The gumbos uh, gumbos genres that they call it. Kum- whether it's a uh, social dance joket or or um, there's another traditional dance adai adai, there's all these different things. And they, if it has the gambus, they call it kumpulan gambus, uh, gambus ensemble. And uh, so that's fading away. But what what seems to be perpetuating it is some of these like pan Bornean identities of like how do we, what are we united by, and that's this land and our, mm. our connection to it. Um, but also historically, like the gambus, uh, the the instruments in Borneo have bird carvings on the peg boxes, which is unique to that area of the world. Like even in, yeah. you don't see that in Yemen, certainly. 
you don't see it in, in the peninsula, but they, so Bungawan is named after a bird, Bungao. Um, so they're, they're very sensitive to nature. And uh, I noticed some instrument, some materials being repurposed and recycled to build instruments like drums, like corrugated um, piping drainage tube was turned, they were put, you put the skin over the top, whether it's <laughs> lizard skin or, or, or um, goat skin. Um, and you make that into a drum. Um, I saw people lizard building skin. No, <laughs> lizard skin this is how they made the gumbus. I'm sorry. Oh, not, okay. the, not the drums. That's, like, um, oh, that's a big <laughs> goat. <laughs> they, they kill the Komodo dragons. Or like, well, it's, it's <laughs> Biowa. Okay, okay. Yeah, the, yeah, mo- yeah. the monitor yeah, lizards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. There's um, plenty of those. Yeah. So they that's a uh, something they use to build yeah. gumbus, actually. There's I guess it would be kind of thin, too, yeah. like and really perfect. Yeah. They call it gumbus Biowa. Yeah. So. They don't, I haven't seen the drums. Maybe they did use it for drums that came out wrong. But, um, so they repurposed those materials. I've seen people making kulintang out of, uh, old lanterns and mm-hmm. recycling. And hmm. it, so kulintang is the gong chime, the gong row. And it's a practical decision, but it's, I mean, it is also easy to say, oh, we're recycling. We care about the environment, but that is something that is in their mi- people's minds. Like they, people were talking to me about this, like this is environmental uh, conservation that we're doing. It's not just practical because we happen to have this laying around. We build our instrument. Um, so, and, and locally sourcing materials like local woods and things like that are really important in building these uh, instruments and, um, so that that mentality, that Panboranian <laughs> identity, seems to be what's carrying this tradition forward. Whereas, uh, I mean, it it is fading away, but that that's the element that's that's kind of like keeping it the flame going. I think. So if if our if our listeners want to um, know more, where should they go? I guess um, Gambus G A M B U S. Yeah, is they can they can do some googling. What where else yeah. should they look? It's hard to. I mean, it there's. YouTube is wonderful. There's all kinds of stuff on YouTube, but it is hard to find. It's not it's not necessarily prevalent. You'll probably find a lot of stuff from Indonesia, Riau, uh, Sumatra, and and those are great places to look to and very interesting gambus traditions. Um some some of the traditions in Indonesia like orkas gambus, um some of the uh, genres in Malaysia were modeled after that and those are more like less mixed communities like Orcas Gambus communities are like Hadrami Arab Indonesians. Um, and right. so that I, I so say it's just part of their cultural tradition. Yeah, don't limit yourself to Malaysia. There's, you can find Gambus music. Um, Philip Yampolsky did uh, a really interesting, um, and he was hired by Smithsonian folkways to go around and live the dream and just record all around, um, Indonesia. And so he has an album or one of the compilations that, um, Smithsonian Folkways put out was Gambus music um, in Indonesia. So nice. I, I'd say that's a good recording, but also recordings by Fadil Ahmad, F A D Z I L A H M A D. And so that is a um, Malaysian. Uh, he's from Muar, Johor, and they call him Raja Gambus, the king of Gambus. <laughs> okay. And he, he did a lot of commercial recordings. Um, yeah. So there's, there's records out there and people have, have, especially like the old LPs, they put them on YouTube and stuff like that. And also maybe a, a forthcoming uh, Rutledge book from our own... <laughs> well, uh, we'll see. Joe Kidzer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if we want to think 
academically about the topic rather than just enjoy it. And listen to <laughs> if you don't want to enjoy it. No. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a question. It's always a question. Will you, will you have a, um, uh, or not a CD anymore, but we have a track list associated with your book when you come out oh, with right. a monograph, you know, about music. Um, so I, I haven't reached that phase yet, but we'll see. Mm. Well, um, thanks again for, thanks again for coming, Joe. And, and, uh, yeah, it's great. Sure, thank you for having me. Okay, and uh, come, come when it, when it's out, come back again, and we can uh, we'll sure. hear your your playlist. Yeah, great. Thanks. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantrakun for the use of his track "Electric Can." And a thanks to our audio producer, Amelia McCoy. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you tune in next time.